Hello and welcome to the Big Fan Podcast made for, by and about music fans. And this month we are doing a deep dive into Taylor Swift. Who else? Let's be honest, there is no talk except talk of the Eras tour and maybe an RTE scandal this month. So (laughs) it was the natural choice. Pre-sale started this morning. And so I'm re-recording this intro. I hope the quality is okay because we have some information now that we didn't at the time of recording. I first of all just want to thank you for listening. Thank you for coming back if it's not your first time. If it is your first time, you can go back and listen to the Harry Styles and Bree Springsteen episodes wherever you found this. It's on Spotify, Apple, wherever else. And you can also sign up for the newsletter, gingeripod.substack.com. You'll get an email a month with behind the scenes of the podcast, photos of our guests, and links to anything we talk about, any books, movies, films, videos, whatever we reference, will be linked in the newsletter. I also want to thank our last big fan, Ali. We got so many messages saying how cute she was, how lovely she was, um, how brilliant she was as a fan, how much knowledge she had, and I completely agree. So you can go back and listen to Ali on the Harry Styles episode and I think Ali even gives her a shout out at the end of this episode. Ali is a good Kildare woman as is this week's guest. We're keeping a theme here. Our guest is Alison Yangsa who is one eighth of the Gael Gals podcast and she's also a huge Swifty. The reason I chose Alison, well I kind of always had her in the back of my head because I know how much she loves Taylor Swift but also because she has been to the Eras tour before. She went to the show in Philly, so I thought it'd be interesting to see how she got on in the ticket buying process and on the night and what the show was like. I do have to say thank you though to all of the other people who got in contact who wanted to take on the role of the big fan this month. Um, and I really want to thank everyone who sent in messages, questions. This episode will be peppered with answers and voice notes from other big fans. So I really want to say thank you to Quiva, Kira, Kuan, Pauline, Lucy, Ruth, and especially Connor, who sent um, maybe a six minute voice note or a podcast in itself that made me think that maybe he could have run this podcast all by himself without me. But I wanted to talk a little bit before we jump in about the pre-sale, which opened today. And so now we have a seating plan for the Aviva. I'll leave a link in the newsletter. Um, and we also have prices. So general seated tickets start at 86 euro. That is up in the nosebleeds, but apparently the view is still good. And the general sale go up as far as 206 for a front section ticket. And then there are also seven VIP tiers that go up as high as 743 euro. Now for 743 euro, I would want to be sitting down for a cup of tea with this girl, but I am a fan and I really want a ticket But I have to say that I was a little bit disappointed that Ticketmaster didn't disclose the prices a bit sooner. And I've seen a bit of frustration online because especially at the VIP packages, the equivalents abroad are much cheaper than they are here. Um, And I think we could have just been given a bit of notice to weigh up whether it was worth maybe traveling to see her somewhere cheaper. And also just to not get people's hopes up because I was willing to pay maybe up to 100 euro, but if I'm going to log in on the day and see that the only tickets after 200, I don't know if I can justify it. And so I wish I wasn't as excited as I am. So yeah, 
like I said, we'll leave a link with extra information. There's also the new ticketing system, which we saw last week for anyone who tried to get a Lana Del Rey ticket. And I spoke about this a bit on News Talk last week, so I'll link that podcast too. There's a new system where you can sign in a half hour early. You're in the lobby. From there, it'll automatically refresh when the tickets go on sale and you'll be in the waiting room, which tells you how long, how many minutes are left until you are in the queue. Once you're in the queue, it tells you how many people are ahead of you. So it's a lengthier process, but I think it's to break up the traffic on the website. Some people did report crashing and, you know, that the waiting room was reloading. I think that is just to be expected. I don't think that Ticketmaster can handle these high capacity gigs. I think that's just a fact. My trick has always been, and I've always got a ticket, um, except for the first day of Lana Del Rey where I made this mistake. I had too many tabs open, I think, and they were reloading. I think it was taking a toll on my internet. The second day, I had one tab on the computer, one tab on the phone, and both went straight through. Um, I was using Microsoft Edge. I know people were reporting problems with Chrome. And the only other thing I would say is make sure that your card details are in, registered, and ready to go beforehand, that you're already signed in. Um, before you try to buy the tickets so yeah good luck and may the odds ever be in our favor I guess so this episode is a long one and I actually think that we could do a second episode on Taylor Swift and maybe we will come back in six months or a year when she's going to Dublin I'd love to do a deep dive just on fan theories and just on the easter eggs because they are uh, the list is so extensive and I, I think some of my favorites are the more intricate ones that seem a little more mundane maybe that you really need to be watching for. So for example, she tweeted the other day, started the tweet with the word, ah, like, ah, I am so excited I had such a good night. And in that she had five H's and fans were like, there's five H's in that, ah, that means that the next album that's coming out is Taylor Swift 5, 1989. I thought that was a bit of a reach, but apparently she did this before and misspelled a word with three O's in it, and it turned out to mean that the third album was en route. So, I mean, anything is possible with this girl, and I think that really lends to the fan theories as well, when you can read into literally everything. So we talk about that later, and we also talk about her reputation era, her downfall, and why there is so much hype around this era's tour. But like I said, we had so many candidates for this episode and I really struggled to choose one, but thankfully we got to hear from a lot of them in the voice notes. And we're going to start by listening to a few people speak about what brought them to Taylor first and why they are so obsessed with her. I have been a Swifty since I think 2008. She released Fearless. I was very much in my sort of Disney Channel, Jonas Brothers era. And there was, of course, that crossover with Joe Jonas. And I was hooked. I myself, as a teenager, had absolutely no life experience. But I felt all the feels through her songs. And I was absolutely obsessed. That love story though our dial-up connection at early in Sugan. He'll make a class. I guess I can for my my friend or my dog for my guitar. I guess he did well in the dolem and our song at a guitar. I shouldn't forget he had my guitar because he made it a bit costly. Taylor Swift, he great hatta. He had like what I knew about great hatta Rio. Hama, come on, girlie, why my egg? Speak now in an Odyssey, my first to live at Auntie because I had a courage to be like a lump. Then, why my eager reputation tour, Nervishi in Barker Croaky, I guess, when the Wim Gajin eras tour in Snaviva, Rahime Rainu. I love you, Taylor. <laughs> love stories were what first made me aware of Taylor. And then, okay, I was following some of the stories about, but musically, what changed everything for me 
was when Red was released. And I suppose it became more pop-orientated. And especially when you'd hear, I knew we were trouble. We are never getting back together. It just sounded differently. And then, okay, when you start digging, you listen to the album more. Then you see and hear this 22. And then, of course, All Too Well. There's all this talk about who are the songs about. But yet, in the middle of all this, there's an unbelievable talent that was highlighted in Red. To Mishigafa, Latiller Swift, Marial, or Lyriki Seki, I guess Commodore Seki, is Kamalehi, Fahirmidini, I guess Hilmisha Goni Groshin, into Ledger, I guess Lamalu Gamor, Marial, or Drahija, I guess Marial, or sort of Draham of Farshi, on the mine, on the man Hushalta, Ohini, Nahur Ahnir Bieki, or he. I guess it canu Latiller Swift, because canu La Halbum Seki, Ni Doilum Gajigshin Ahari, because you scarch you ma, I guess Mahu, Ahan, Wahu, Avi Eki Hain, I guess he come. Hello there. So I really hope you're prepared for a roller coaster with this one. I kind of became a Taylor Swift fan. I think it was like 2006, 2007 ish time. So it would have been like 13, 14, which is insane to think now, given that I'm nearly 30. When it would have been our song, would have been the first song that I heard. I was like, this is really good and kind of got me into her first album. But I transitioned from being like Taylor Swift fan to full on Swifty when she released Speak Now. Such a good album, absolutely adored, still do to this day, and it's great that it's just after being re-released with six new songs. Fell in love with that album, particularly songs like Long Live, Enchanted, and um, Back to December, Dear John, and Haunted. I have such a soft spot for. I think I really appreciated it because it was all self-written and it was done with a purpose, being to prove that she does actually write her own music. Why I am a Swifty, kind of a few, a few elements to it, I would say. So like there's one the whole songwriting side of it, like her songwriting is fantastic and there's absolutely no denying that. I would argue she's probably the best songwriter of our generation. Regardless of what mood you're in, there's definitely going to be a song to match it. Second part is her activism, like she has spoken up for feminism, women's rights, then there's the whole LGBT side of it. She has been an activist for the LGBTQ community. But then I also love the businesswoman side of Taylor Swift. She is so business savvy. I will touch on that a bit more when in like talking about my like my favorite era but like prime examples of it the re-records to own her own music the way she has positioned the era's tour is just insane like she is such a clever businesswoman that's me and i love taylor swift okay so shin couple of uh recent omiacht mar big fans and shacht and a shah ach Rainik Misha, Alson Yangasa, Latir Stachla, Lartlin Marial, or Taylor Swift, mar Imohula is Tusa the big fan. Like I said, I've already done it. We are gonna try to do this in English. I don't think I've ever spoken English to you before. It feels a bit weird. It feels very weird. Really weird. <laughs> and we might slip in and out, um, but I'll translate anything that needs translating, and um, it'll all be in the show notes in the newsletter anyway. So. Thank you so much for taking time to speak to me today. I'm really excited about this episode and I was just saying like I don't feel like I can do enough research. There's mm-hmm. just such a range of stuff to cover. But I kind of want to start with you and go like right back to where your journey with Taylor Swift started. So like what age were you when you started listening to her? What album was it? And kind of set the scene like who were you? What were you doing at the time? I need to preface, first of all, this is the best day of my life. <laughs> I've been waiting for this day for so long. And I feel the pressure. I love the way it was all Gregory as well. And I know everyone who's that to yep. I feel, I feel like Mohim on brew. I feel the pressure, but I hope I represent everyone. I, the first time I remember hearing a Taylor Swift song, I was actually a little bit older than 
I say most people, was I think I was either third year or TY in school. I remember being in the computer room and, you know, it's one of those like free classes where you don't have to like do anything. It's the absolute dream. And one of the girls in my class had made like a lyric video for a love story. And that was the first time that I'd ever heard love story. And I was like, hmm, I really like that. I like this kind of like songwriter kind of vibe with a bit of country, but it's also pop like it wasn't so country that I was like oh that's not my kind of genre so that's the first time that I remember hearing love story and then I think I spent a huge amount of time on YouTube because Mm -hmm. back in the day if there's any Gen Z listening uh, there wasn't like streaming services where you could like instantly get music especially like being in Ireland we were kind of like a little bit behind America in terms of like how big she was over there so I remember looking up loads of her songs on YouTube again other people had uploaded like lyric music videos um I do remember you belong with me that music video that's still that one was of my iconic favorite. yeah so iconic I think it's, that got me too it's still I think it's still my number one favorite music video of hers she's just like it's so good it was so of its time as well oh with like gosh. the converse and the glasses and then everyone was wearing those nerdy glasses for a while like oh it was just it was just the best and then I can't remember the actor's name but he was in the Hannah Montana movie like he was just oh. everywhere at that time like the love interest mm-hmm. in the music video I remember by the time Red was coming out I was like fully obsessed I was like sitting down at the laptop waiting for it to drop. Okay. I remember listen, listening listening like from start to finish. I remember exactly like when State of Grace the first song came on and I was like, "Oh my god, this is amazing." So from then on, I was like completely hooked. And I have always been really afraid that she will put out something that oh, I won't like. It's yeah. my it's my number one fear. <laughs> but to date, she hasn't. Okay. I mean, there's a few times that she scared me with the first singles that she put out on albums. And I was like, Miss Swift, what are we doing? <laughs> and then I would listen to the whole album would come in and I'm like, oh, this is still amazing. Yeah, I've been pretty much hooked since I was probably around like 15 okay. onwards. Um, what was it about her that resonated with you? Like, even at the time of You Belong With Me and those songs, she had a very good girl image. Would that have yeah. been you? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I was such a goody teacher. He's like, teacher's pet. Front row in the classroom. That's who me <laughs> down to the go around. That was absolutely me. And I just loved the, like, songwriter element because, like, mm-hmm. I... My dad listened to loads of James Taylor, Crosby, Stills and Nash, Carole King. There was always like a songwriter kind of vibe that I listened to growing up. And then my mom loved like Madonna and ABBA and like more like poppy kind of music. So I remember like the big controversy when like 1989 came out and it was like, oh, she's now a pop artist. And I never understood that criticism because I'm like, it doesn't matter if it's what genre, if it's country or pop, the songwriting is still the same. Like she's still writing really, really good pop songs. Pop just means popular, just because she like put a bit of synth (laughs) on 1989. The songwriting is still the core of everything that she has done. When people are like, oh, I really liked her country stuff. And then I like kind of faded off after that. That just doesn't apply to me. And especially when she was new, I feel like at first in my circles anyway, she was like a little bit too pop or a little bit too... I don't know, pristine and people thought she was a bit uncool. And I think I even had a little bit of that in me. And I remember hearing Red for the first time. I promised I'd give Graham a shout out because it was actually, I got into my friend's car and he'd always have something like Haim or 
Ockerville River or like Augustana or something kind of cool in the car and I sat in one day and he was blaring red and he like <laughs> knew all the drum parts already he was singing it top of his lungs and I was like oh we like Taylor Swift now but listening to it I was That's like so oh funny. actually this is quite good and I think that was kind of what changed my opinion in the end but what was the general opinion around you like were your friends listening to her as well or were yeah how were people responding to her at that time I was in the trenches back in the day defending okay. her <laughs> oh my god I would literally nearly have arguments with people. I would, I because I just, it's so funny when I think about how popular she is now. Mm -hmm. And especially with people trying to get tickets to her show. We have a question on that later. Yeah, yeah. To her show next year. And I'm like, hmm. (laughs) I know the people who have been genuine (laughs) fans for years who I've talked to. Yeah, she kind of did have that like image of, she was she wasn't when you think about contemporaries like like Lady Gaga so mm. different or like Beyonce like she fits into that category of absolutely huge stars um but she always kind of stood out in her own right in like a different way she was kind of when you she was so young when she started she was literally a yeah. teenager um and you know she was still f- so young like even when she was at like 22 she was like that's a baby 22 like, is a baby so young um <laughs> And when I think about like all the criticism she got for like how many people she dated, because apparently mm. she's dated like a ton of people, um, and like the the whole they girl squad. They want to see our God disco days. Yeah, <laughs> literally. <laughs> I'm like, don't be judging people. <laughs> so I was really in the trenches, like defending her to like my absolute hilt. One of my really good friends from school, um, she came with me to my first Taylor show, but I literally feel like so that was 1989. So that was the, the mm-hmm. first time that I saw her. In the three arena in Dublin, I was so excited. I literally made t-shirts. Oh, I cute. had like, uh, so I got black t-shirts and I made like TS. So we had a t-shirt each and I put lights in them. Um, yeah, literally. So I have, I'll show you the picture. I have like T and S. Those were our two shirts. And I was like so excited. And then Sinead Niscully came with me to Reputation Aww. in Croke Park. Um, Hi Sinead. Uh, hello. <laughs> and then uh, we had a whole crowd of us, inc- including Lucy and uh, one of my other besties at the Ears tour. So I kind of felt like over the years, I was kind of like forcing my friends to listen to Taylor. <laughs> like really when she wasn't the most popular person. And I'd be like, will somebody please come to Taylor with me? And now I feel like uh, for this next show, it's it's like I'm fighting people for tickets. Yeah. Like everyone, it, it is it is seriously the great war. Like it I is. think we're going to need like an army of people to get tickets as well. Like you're going to yeah. need six, seven people at the computer oh, yeah. on the dot. We're working on it. <laughs> we are working on it. Have you got, um, have, were you waitlisted? I'm or? on the waitlist. No. Yeah. Oh no. I'm waitlisted. I feel really bad because I didn't get waitlisted and I do really want to go. I'm so happy and for you. I am happy but I also... I saw so many people who Take didn't. them and run. Take them yeah, and run. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. I'll get you one. <laughs> I feel so guilty. Don't feel guilty. I mean, like, because I've seen the tour, I'm like, okay, I need to let go a little bit because like, there's other people who haven't seen the tour yet and I, yeah, I do get to see fair. her. I can't so. wait to hear your take on it later. Oh. But I loved, I loved her cameo in New Girl as well. I was a big New Girl fan. Oh my God. But yeah. CC describes Schmidt in one episode as going through a Taylor Swift-like range of emotions. <laughs> 
And I think that's why she's a really perfect artist because especially for a teenage girl, you know, you're, you're all in your feelings and it is the perfect music to get in your feelings too, regardless of what the feelings are at mm-hmm. this stage. The catalogue is so vast. But do you have any pivotal kind of teen moments or memories involving or soundtracked by Taylor Swift? Oh my gosh. I mean, who was it that said in one of the box talks, I think it was Kriva, who was like, I had no teenage experience that was relatable. That <laughs> was absolutely me. I was just in my little fairy tale land. But she does have songs from debut. She has I'm Only Me with When I'm With You, mm. which is about her bestie Abigail. So that was, I always had a really strong group of friends. So I loved that song because that just meant so much to like the friendships that I had. Mm-hmm. And also like 15, Abigail as well, and just being in school. And in terms of emotions, I remember listening to Last Kiss on Speak Now and like, don't ask me why, because I don't think I was applying that to anyone in particular. I had no one in particular to apply to, but I was just like sobbing listening to it. I was like, this yeah. is so sad. So she just was able to bring out all those emotions. Like no matter, people always think, oh, her songs are all about her exes. Mm-hmm. And there's so much other stuff there. It's just the singles that people are probably paying more attention to. I love Never Grow Up as well which is about her like moving out and like her childhood. And that is such a beautiful song. And obviously Speak Now Taylor's version has just come out and listening to that now at 27 compared to like when I was a teenager listening to it, it's just, it's so special to have that kind of connection with music. And that's why, like she has never failed me. That's why she has always been there. Mm -hmm. Like she has said that her fans are the longest relationship she's ever had. Like I feel that with her because... She's not going anywhere. Like, she's always going to be, like, the artist of my life. I love hearing that. And I love, like, thinking then of you, say, growing up and going on to do bigger things. Or you recently moved to America. Like, to have that kind of company must be really nice. Oh, my God, yeah. Oh, she literally has been with me through, like, so many life changes. When I think about, like, 1989 came out when I was in college. So that was, like, you know, proper, like, dancey music. And it was the first time, because Shake It Off is on that, and it was the first time that you would hear her music in a nightclub. I remember when that song came out. This is so embarrassing. I went to my hairdresser with a picture of Taylor Swift from, like, the 22 (laughs) kind of era, and I was like, I want my hair like this. And he said no. He was like, this will be terrible for you. You have curly hair. We're not doing it. And I was like, she has curly hair, and she did it. And he cut my hair, and I swear, I didn't leave the house for about six months. It was terrible. (laughs) Terrible. Well, I'm glad that Taylor was such an inspiration. You're like, she I want was. this hair look. Yeah, but I really think in pop especially, the aesthetic of the artist is nearly as important as the music itself, especially when you're looking at teenage fans who really want to emulate the artist or want the entirety to kind of represent and reflect who they feel they are. But with Taylor, I feel like because she's had so many eras... I anyway don't have a specific image that I think of when I think of her, except maybe the red lip. She's nearly had so many looks that she doesn't have a look anymore. And do you think that's maybe become a good gateway for people meeting her at different points in their lives? Or is it more to do with the evolution as people grow up listening to her? I think it's a really good mix because I think she actually got a lot of people into her with Folklore and Evermore Mm because I think that was a real surprise for people. And I thought, this is when people started like really changing opinion on her, but it was no surprise to me that she was able to write that kind of music because she always had been writing that kind of music. And it was just hilarious to me because she worked with Aaron Desner on that and like, 
especially men sorry to attack but people <laughs> agreed but men who are like oh, oh I love the national and then they're like oh that music you know folk are ever and ever more actually actually really good mm-hmm. and yeah I actually knew that the because Stamp of yeah, approval. it's literally the body very stamp of approval. And I'm like, well, I've always known this. <laughs> You're just late to the game. Uh, I feel like this goes back to the thing about fangirls we talked about in the last episode yes. about Harry Styles. The fangirls create the culture. And then, you know, 20, 50 years, some guy's clutching his white album like, the Beatles are cool. <laughs> You're like, well, who said it first? I always say the sub group of humans that are the smartest people ever is teenage girls yeah I think so they are so so intelligent so empathetic they are so organised IQ and EQ exactly they have the IQ and the EQ Mm -hmm. they are like the best group of people ever is teenage girls so of course we knew that Taylor was going to be absolutely amazing and she would have such a long career Mm She has gone through so many eras. Yeah. She has changed so much. When you think about it, she had her country phase and then she went really, really pop. And then Folklore Evermore, I think kind of went back to her country roots in a sense. It really? was a lot more story focused. So that was where she was, she was writing songs that weren't just personal to her. It was literally folklore. She was writing songs that were inspired by other people's stories. And I love music like that. And that is what country is is telling a story. Yeah. So I, I really, really love those two albums. And then Midnight's has kind of brought it back. I was actually surprised with Midnight's because I really thought that was going to be, there was rumours going around this, that was like, it's going to be some sort of Fleetwood Mac influenced like album. And it is more poppy than I was expecting it to be. Her actual lyrics on that are so, you can see how it's her, her songwriting has just developed over the years to where it is now like it's really reflective of where she is in her life I think it's great that she wasn't afraid to actually go back to a bit of pop music after Folklore and Evermore but yeah it's hard to pick like a certain look because she has a look for every single album yeah and that's kind of become synonymous just with pop overall like I know it's not necessarily a new thing like Bowie would have done it Madonna like really brought it home having a new look a new aesthetic with every album and I think then Taylor really ran with it to the point that say when Vampire with Olivia Rodrigo came out last week and the theme was kind of purple and they were like but she did purple before she can't do purple twice (laughs) and I kind of agree with like Taylor going back to Midnight's does obviously have its own aesthetic or whatever but it it's more I think maybe authentic of her or it's like folklore with a bit of polish it's not necessarily a whole new we didn't get another bleach look thank god yeah you know it's not as drastic and I think it's nice that she kind of has the foundation that she doesn't really need to do that as much anymore but I'd also love to know we're going to listen to some vox pops now of people's favorite eras over the year and then I'll ask you yours okay an era is far lumsa na speak now, Marial Gerbe and Hied Hyalkaram or Rasselmashair. Marial er Nahoran, I guess, can you on the Shilta vi fetchafucha, I guess, sort an aspa ogliviarhi, Lorchamadna, Kanuma, Fuhushin, I guess, Kahari, Marial Girl, Golden Kevnishin, Ogum, one Hyalkaram shin, Instant Three Arena, I guess, and Kurchin or Ekchechim, I guess, Taylor Swift, Ekchasuan, I guess, Ekanu, Sparks Fly. Vina Jorlum. They say on Eras. Barlum, mm, not lover. Mar did she just go? Jig tool, August, Tala Gra Aun, August Fisha in Ra, August Anish Talmisha in Ra, August Aintim, the Gok Aaron Aaron album Shin. Did she just go? Jig tool, August Kevin Groshe on album is far. Ataki. Personally, my favourite era, I think it could kind of split this into. Musically, my favourite era 
fear folklore evermore. I kind of grouped them in together because it happened four and a half months apart. That was iconic the way she did it. Like basically it was just like, here's a surprise album in the middle of a pandemic. And I think it's kind of what everyone needed at the time as well. It was a bit of escapism through really good music. And they were the albums of 2020. I just think they were really clever as well, like in terms of like there was storytelling there, like that weren't necessarily autobiographical. When you look at like the likes of The Last Great American Dynasty and like Nobody No Crime, which is a great one for all those murder podcast lovers. But then also still having those somewhat autobiographical songs that anyone can relate to, like the one My Tears Ricochet and Tolerated for anyone that's been in a bad relationship. Yeah, so musically, they are my favourite eras. But then in terms of like an overall era, reputation all the way. I just thought the whole thing was so clever at the time in that like Taylor Swift had essentially been cancelled and was being associated with snakes, like being called a snake, courtesy of Kim Kardashian and Kanye West, which, you know, proved to be false at the time, false accusations coming from those, shock horror. But like then when she made her comeback after a few years, the whole album revolved around the imagery of snakes. And I was like, you are a genius. You are capitalizing on something that you were bullied by being associated with. It was insanely good. And then the music on that album is absolutely fantastic as well. Still the best concert I've been to has been part of the Rep- Reputation Stadium Tour in Crow Park. Dumhain, um, 1989. Isbrolum, just in vibe to on. It's, it's pop girly may, Isbrolum, on Kyoder Fad, Ock, Darnow and Nikiapam Gerbation, on Ira Isfjarlum, Do Taylor, Yhain, Marbishi Extrackled, Gamorlan, and Miaratlan, Shagas Gokkard, Marshinaganam. On Iris Fjarlum, the good Taylor, not speak now. Kevin Grushy, Co Kroga, Egan Eishin, Lena Halvim Hain, Ashgrieve, Hillis Gohomlan, Lehi Hain. On Mion, Vieki, Eganomna, just Shasus, Augustafisa, Rogus, Vet Kroga, Augus, Gan Agla, Vet Earth, He became Rather Tai, the Cree, Raus, Ord. You know, Shashin, Gamorlum, Fuix, Mame, or Renafosta Nish, just a cream of sheer, Aaron Om, Imahil, Beda Grame, Kuhala, Agus Nakra, Magir, Rather Ra. We Taylor Gear Mother Spraga Agus Rawling, you know, Tashkerkler, Hebe King Rodata, Agat Levra, Aira, Agus Aira Gama, Agus Aira, Gahord, Agus Gan Fatius Erbis. And so, what is your favourite era, Al? Oh no, I actually can't. <laughs> it's so, it's so difficult. I love that Kiva mentioned Sparks Fly because that's one of my faves from Speak Now. I mean, 1989 was the first time I saw her. I really, really loved that album. Like, I I did a J1 and I had, like, Welcome to New York, like, playing when I was, like, landing. And I was like, this is my time. (laughs) Um, So I do really love 1989 because I remember I had the exact same reaction. Like, when she came out, I literally cried because I was like, oh, my God, she's actually real. She's a real person. Yeah. Favourite. I love Reputation. When, I was just about to ask, where do you stand with the reputation? Era? I love reputation. Like when that came on at the Eras Forum Philly, I lost it. And is that a common favorite? No, a lot okay. of people don't like reputation. But I'm like, if you listen to the music, like the <laughs> the pop songs are phenomenal. They are ten out of ten out of this world. Like that came out when I was on my day one. I remember sitting on the floor when she dropped. She the album came out later, but she dropped. Look what you make me do, and I was terrified because that song it's not great. is yeah. yeah. I mean, that's not one of my faves. And I was like, oh no, this is it. This is when she released something <laughs> I don't like. I was like, what am I going to do? My identity is gone. Um, And then she dropped a music video. And I was like, this is the most iconic music video I have ever seen in my entire life. What's in that music video now? It is basically 
the whole like the old tailor can't come to the phone right now why because she's dead so she it's literally starts in a graveyard and she like comes out of the ground and she's this zombie there are so many good images in that music video my fave is, is obviously when she has all the old versions of herself again representing the eras mm-hmm. like the looks that she had from tours and they're all like crawling up to her and on this big platform it's just so iconic. She had a dance routine in it because people would say she couldn't dance. It was really good. It was really, really good. Just, it's such an iconic music video. There are so many elements in that. Again, there's like a ton of Easter eggs in it as well. I think if she had released the music video mm. when the single was dropped, I wouldn't have been as freaked out because okay. I was like, I feel like the song was there as a purpose for the music video because it revealed so much of her, like, F everyone after the whole, like... I hate Taylor Swift and the whole Kanye West situation. The second one, not the first one. (laughs) (laughs) I just forget there was two, yeah. There was like two big controversies. So it was in the time when she was really, like her reputation was really low. And people were making fun of reputation as an album. Like the font, they were like, that just pulled off (laughs) something off Microsoft Word. People didn't like the images from it. And like, I love the music from that. It is so just pure pop. And it is... So good in a stadium. If people were at Croke Park, I just genuinely think that show was so good. Mm-hmm. They really didn't sell that out. They seemed to be handing out yeah. tickets left, right and centre. Everyone says that if they were like, for the Saturday, everyone had tickets. Like yeah. it was just like handing them out like sweets, like everyone could go. And I'm actually so annoyed because I should have gone to the Saturday one. I, I would have been able to get my hands on it. <laughs> and um, for someone maybe who's listening now and they're like, well, why do we hate her so much then if we love her so much now? Like mm-hmm. what was going on in the Reputation era that led to that kind of lull in interest and not even a lull in interest actively disliking her oh completely and I mean it was an accumulation of shaming her for her dating history which mm-hmm. was always there the Ellen DeGeneres interviews always <sighs> get me so angry where she, she literally so shows right. pictures and she's like ring a bell if you've dated this man like yeah and she misogyny. was really young doing yeah. those interviews like she must have felt so uncomfortable and especially because she was dating people of profile as well mm-hmm. and sometimes a lot older than her which we you know like yeah. just so bad and I think it was an accumulation so when Reputation came out it was an accumulation of the whole 1989 era was very much kind of like on Instagram and it was like her big 4th of July parties and she had like the girl squad the Bad Blood music video where she had a ton and ton of well-known like female celebrity singers actors constantly being like it's like seen in the media being papped and then you had the Kanye West controversy where he put out the song Famous and had that line in it that was like I made her famous I made that mm, famous I'm not even gonna use that word for her (laughs) and she was not comfortable with that and then you had Kim Kardashian who holds a lot of like pop culture kind of power coming after her and like releasing a recorded phone call with her being like this is proof that she agreed to this and that she was okay with it I don't tend to listen to like leaked stuff like that I've never listened to any of her leaked music I've never listened to things like that which which is supposed to be private I do think though that I heard a little bit of that phone call and you can tell in her voice that she's not it's not like yeah, yeah absolutely go it ahead taken out of context as well completely they kind of said oh this proves that she agreed to everything but like she hadn't heard that he was gonna use like a, a bad word to describe her exactly um, which isn't fair at all and especially when you think of she's spoken so often in interviews about a fear of being recorded unbeknownst to herself mm-hmm. like I don't know if it comes from that or if that intensified that but it's very sad 
And the music video for Famous is very strange. Oh, awful. Very, very That's weird. That's the one with the, all the kind of um, wax figures of yeah. celebrities in Kanye West's bed. Very, very odd. So you had all of that and people taking like Kanye West and Kim Kardashian's side because they took this like, leaked private phone call and was like, she's completely lying. This is like the downfall of Taylor Swift. And then there was the whole dating Calvin Harris and then she was like suddenly with Tom Hiddleston and you had the whole Hiddleswift yes. <laughs> going on. You had the bleached hair, really short with the fringe. It was like, there was a lot going on. She We've was, all had a bad haircut. Uh, yeah. Mine was also a Taylor Swift bob. <laughs> There, there, was a, there was a lot of drastic changes going mm-hmm. on in the Swift world. It was, that definitely took a toll on her. I remember her saying that like nobody saw her for a year. She literally just wasn't in public for a whole year. She completely isolated herself and like hid herself away. So when you think about how, the height, well, at the time that would have been the most famous that she was. And then this sort of downfall and having to deal with a huge amount of like unwarranted hate I mean, it just shows like how fickle the media is and how fickle society is because when you see her now, which I, now I think she's at the top right now. Oh, you ca- You cannot go anywhere without hearing something about her. She is it at the moment. So I asked people why they thought that was and why this like massive hype has kind of come. I don't want to say from nowhere because I feel like it's been building for a long time, but this is what some of our listeners had to say about it. The Ears tour is the tour to end all tours. <laughs> It's the most iconic tour that she could have done because because of COVID, things got all out of place with Lover and we didn't get that tour. We thought maybe we'd never see Folklore Evermore songs live. She knows that even in 20 years, she could come up on a stage and sing You Belong With Me and the crowd would still go wild. So why not do an Eras tour now, going back on, on her amazing career and sharing all the songs, all the years that we all love in one epic show. And it's definitely worth the hype because this woman is singing 44 songs, three hours and a half. Um, she has her acoustic sets and everything. It's, it's all her and it's a massive production as well. It's the golden ticket at the moment. She deserves it and she always has and always will. <laughs> There's so much hype around the Eras tour because I think Taylor has created it all by her own. Folklore brought her into a different stratosphere altogether okay you had the Miss Americana on Netflix then you had Folklore then you had Evermore there was this appetite for Taylor Swift after COVID-19 then there was the re-release of the Taylor version song everybody was dying to meet her to see her what she going to do next and then you had Midnight's and this again appetite just to see her how many years since she's toured I think that's one of the reasons also she is everywhere look at all the streaming how many albums does she have in the top 50 Top 100, how many singles does she have in the top 50, top 100s? Taylor, as a business person, is unbelievable. And she alone has created this hype and it's a credit to her. Captain Gawil, Hypeco, Ulwarshin, Temple the Ears Tour, Marielle, hmm, Nero and Deshagon Khodini are hoish lumps of frastal air, Kilkerm is seki, yeah, they may row og revision near and dash on them and near and target on them. You can't commit dumb pain. August near Hague, McLean on hype team player. He's Tadini and on like relive their inner childhood. Fresh and dirty TikTok. Toshi hate explode. Oh, TikTok to crack out her fault. August fresh and Captain Gold is just cool. Gold she re releasing a quid kill is brawling shit. Yeah, so. In terms of like why I think like Taylor Swift has just 
become become the music industry and such a powerful woman, especially over the last couple of years. Firstly, I think the pandemic has helped her massively in terms of like folklore evermore. Those album drops as such big surprises when people weren't generally making a huge amount of music. Like again, I've already referred to it like it was just the whole escapism through it, like just going into this whimsical world of the forest. Like it was insanely good at times. So I think that's one. TikTok has certainly helped as well. Like when you look at some of her songs that weren't even singles, like weren't big when they were originally released that have blown up on TikTok, like such as Don't Blame Me became massive, Enchanted, Wildest Dreams blew up. I think I forgot that you existed blew up at one point. And like currently now Cruel Summer, a song that was released four years ago, is like flying up charts and stuff like that has certainly helped. And then like the Eras tour as well. Like I think a lot of people didn't realize how many of Taylor Swift songs they actually liked until like the re-records as well have absolutely helped like in terms of like people are fairly familiar with the concept of why she's doing this now in terms of recording it so she can own her own work i think yeah that's definitely part of it as well but like i think there's so many reasons why she's really blown up i think it's absolutely fantastic she's definitely getting the recognition she deserves now at this point not that she was ever that she didn't ever have a hundred million fans but like now people are really beginning to appreciate her for how good of an artist she actually is which has come to my own detriment because I did not manage to get tickets to the Eras tour. I'm holding out hope that I'm going to get them, but yeah. So a lot to unpack there. And people have touched on a few things that I want to come back to. But something I think is, and I wonder how long had that been in the making because she seems to pre-plan everything. But with the Eras tour and with the aesthetic for each album that we spoke about earlier, I feel like each era is a different gateway. So there's not just one door into Taylor Swift now. You can be someone who loves folk music and you can go through the folklore door. You can be a real pop girly and you can go back to 1989 and enter that way. Or if you love country, you might go through Red. And especially with the re-releases, like all of these doors are right in front of us now. So it kind of just opens the world to so many different audiences coming from different backgrounds, places, whatever it might be. And on top of that, you have this like massive fan connection. TikTok was mentioned there a few times and she's definitely used that. But I was wondering, what do you think are the main kind of cogs in this machine at the moment? Like what is driving the hype? Oh my gosh, it is really an accumulation of so many things. Like I definitely do think TikTok is actually a very good shout as yeah. to why she is so popular right now. I think it's a mixture of folklore and evermore bringing in a different type of audience. Um, and it was also the pandemic when those come, came out. Yeah. Captive audience. Exactly. The re-releases, as you said, with added songs. So she does songs from the vault. So songs that she wrote at the time, but didn't include on the album. People are getting like re-obsessed or remembering, mm-hmm. listening to her when they were younger. And then just social media. Like she has always utilised social media. Like she used MySpace and Tumblr huge back in the day. Okay. And I think for kind of a younger generation like Gen Z, that age group we're getting into her because she's still putting out new music and mm-hmm. she's huge on TikTok. And also things like the series that's on Amazon Prime, The Summer I Turn Pretty. So Taylor coded, like it has so <laughs> many connections. They use so much of her music in that series. Very, Even though the books for that came out when I was younger, it's a very Gen Z series. She just is so universal, like she really hits so many marks. And I think that's why this tour, this era's tour, is an absolute fight to the death for tickets. And I honestly, I do think if anybody, they have a partner or have a best friend that is like, I am going to Taylor Swift and you have to go with them, you're, you're going to enjoy the show. 
Yeah, I think so. I don't think you could bring someone who's not going to know a few of the hits. Oh, like, absolutely. There's no escaping her. Exactly. Like, she's in the background. She's just, yeah. if you are alive at the same time as her, you you're going to hear her. Yeah. <laughs> you're just going to know the music. Yeah. So long-term Swifties will know all about this, but I am fascinated because I'm pretty new to the concept of the Easter eggs she plants in everything she does. So it might be to provide extra context for the lyrics when she's writing something, or it might be hinting at the next album, next re-recording, whatever it might be. Every song, every music video seems to be peppered with these little hints and it's like a breadcrumb trail to the next release or the next moment, whatever it might be. Um, she loves playing with numbers and she leaves these kind of puzzles in her everything, even her tweets. She sometimes will use a certain number of letters which can be decoded down to a date or something crazy, you know. I say crazy, but it's like just the right side of genius. And I was just wondering if you could talk to us a bit about the history of these Easter eggs and were there any that kind of blew your mind or that were just insane? Oh my God, there, there is honestly so many. Back in the day, what she did was, you when you would get the physical CD, yeah. so when you would get the uh, little booklet that had all the lyrics, she would capitalise random letters in the lyrics for I each song. You would take out the capital letters it would spell out something secret about that song. So it would be some little phrase that would give you a little bit more information about what the inspiration was or who it was about or a certain like, period in time, just some sort of little tidbit of information. Mm. So she has always been doing that. And then it really, really, she really got into it. I think around kind of 1999 reputation, I mean, with the music videos and the amount of Easter eggs that she has in them, I can't comprehend them all. Mm. I literally have to watch oh, YouTube like videos. Buzzfeed, like 101 things you didn't notice about the video There's kind of articles. so many. She has gotten freakishly good at them in the yeah. last few years. The latest music video she put out, I Can See You, which is a vault track from Speak Now Taylor's version. There's like a car driving under a bridge and there's a sign that has numbers on it and it has 1989. So people are like, 1989 is going to be in the next re-release. I honestly can't even pick. And then on the other side of it, because there are so many little clues and things and they can be interpreted maybe in different ways, you get these mad fan theories. So everything from like Taylor Swift is a lizard person to <laughs> the whole Gaylor thing and yeah. that she was dating Carly Kloss, whether it's true or not. I don't love prying in celebrity lives like it makes no difference to me who she's dating who she's not and even when we find them out I'm like oh juicy for like two seconds and then you kind of move on it doesn't really concern us but there's kind of a blurred line with Taylor because she writes so openly about everything like she tells us everything and yet she does deserve privacy so yeah I don't know some of these fan theories I'm a bit hesitant to believe even you know I know there was evidence and I say that in air quotes in the video where she apparently kissed Carly Kloss. Now, it's so pixelated, you can't really tell what's happening. She could have been whispering in her ear or something. Also, like, I've definitely drunk kissed my friends in a totally non-romantic way at concerts and things. Definitely have done that. <laughs> and again, what difference does it make to us? But I don't know, I just would like to hear what you think about some of the fan theories and how how much can we trust them, really? Because, because she hints to so many things, I feel like... Most of the fan theories are kind of like accurate in some way. Yeah. Like I think most of them are alluding to like when the next release is or some, something that references something before. I think the maddest one probably is the Carly Class one because I just, I can't wrap my head around that one. 
I feel like it's very much given me like Harry Styles and Louis Tomlinson. Big time, yeah. At this stage, I'm like, Lars, we need to let that go. It's just, it's just not nice. It's just at this stage, I'm like, we need, we need to park it. Yeah. So I don't know if there's any really mad theories. I honestly kind of let them go over my head. I mean, the only thing that I really, really want to happen is her to get back with Harry Styles because I just, the world would explode. <laughs> I don't see that happening, but I do think the world would implode. Yeah, it was. That'd be the end of everything. Literally. You wouldn't need to worry about climate change anymore. It'd yeah, be nuclear war. Because like, um, I saw some magazines on a newsstand being like Harry and Taylor beside each other. I'm like, there is absolutely no evidence that they even like speak no. to each other. But I just, I would love, I would love for that to happen. <laughs> I just think that would be so full circle. Do you think we'll get Harry Styles on the 1989 album? That's a rumour that's circling now that he'll be in style. Oh my God. He won't do it. I know he won't. I don't think he will either. I actually don't think he should. No. would be my personal yeah. opinion. I don't think he should um, either. Like he's not, like I feel, it's so funny. Have you seen Taylor Lautner and the oh, whole yeah. coming out on stage? Sorry, him doing the backflips on the stage Hilarious. because it was in the Valentine's movie. Yeah. Iconic. I, I loved know. that. Everyone's like, what is he doing? I was like, no, no, this is exactly what the world <laughs> needed right now. Wholesome. You weren't there. You didn't <laughs> yeah. You don't understand the movie reference. I feel like he's the only ex that she could do that with, where mm. she could actually like bring him out. And and he was, he was the best ex. We all know this. Everyone's heard back to December. You know, and Harry is just too up there with his own career. He's, he's yeah. not going to be messing about. I don't lying. like a random collab. Even the one with Lana Del Rey. I was like, okay, it's nice, but why? Like, yeah. whatever about the one with Bonnie Vare or some of the national ones, they kind of answer each other. Or like, yes. Matt Berenger wrote lyrics and she wrote a response and I think that serves a function I love a duet but when it's just like let's get it, this person in for a verse so that we've double the listeners I'm like ah, oh, I don't yeah. care yeah I really in terms of her collaborations over the years like I loved the Ed Sheeran one on yeah, Red yeah that was nice I was obsessed with that back in the day I definitely I love the Bonnie Vera stuff I think that's amazing because that's just such well crafted songwriting Midnight's was so funny because I was literally waiting but I was like she hasn't sang her verse where's yeah. her verse <laughs> and then the fact that she re she when she brought out the deluxe version the extended version she actually had Lana singing more on it I was like yeah, this is what we were expecting in the first yeah, place yeah. Taylor dare Mary I mention Lana. the like Karma and Ice Spice feature yes because I mean that that's definitely I love my girl but like that was definitely an unnecessary yeah didn't feature. really add anything no. but I did want to ask about Karma the album because there is a fan theory that seems pretty well founded I've done a lot of deep dives on this that there was an album to come out in 2016 I want to say in between 1989 and Reputation so that would have been the year where as you said she kind of disappeared from the public eye and apparently she had an album written then and it just it kind of failed to take off um, and there's hints to this in especially the video for The Man I think where yes. she's standing on an aeroplane it says TS6 it would have been the sixth album and she's cutting the wings off it and then on the is it the same music video she's kind of graffitiing on a wall and she has all of the album titles to date and it says Karma in there and it was supposed to be an orange theme there's so many deep dives on this you can literally watch hours worth of YouTube I've done it on this subject <laughs> if you want I'll put some in the newsletter but how do you feel about that? Do you think that's a possibility or would we know more about it if it was real? I feel like that's definitely one of the fan theories that's probably spot on. Um, no. Definitely feel like that was an album that she had in the works. And then because of her whole kind of 
image in the media at the time, she kind of had to change track. I don't know if we're going to see that album. I feel like that album has kind of dissolved. I don't know why. This is just my sense. Because she has a song called Karma on Midnights, I think that's her ode to Karma as an album. So I don't think that we're going to get like that album in full. I think that has melted into Midnights, really. Yeah. I could be completely wrong. No, um, I kind of agree. Especially when she was doing that thing with the lotto numbers. She was kind of pulling out a uh, ball with a number on it to reveal the track list of Midnight's. And when she pulled out the karma, when she like cackled, I was like, okay, that's all we're getting. This, yeah. That's that era over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's one of those things that it just wasn't meant to be. Yeah. Or I guess it's just one of those things that we'll, we'll never, never know. know. I mean, she has a lot of unreleased music floating around. I just have a suspicion that the song Karma on Midnight's is it is kind of it or that was going to be some version of that would have been a lead single from Karma the album. Yeah. And even sonically that would fit kind of the end of the 1989 yes. era too, which yeah. is nice. But back to the era's show because yeah, I just everyone wants a ticket, everyone's trying to get in and we've kind of touched on that thing where like everyone wants one but where does that leave the real fans and I kind of wanted to talk about gigs in general but you have seen the Eras tour already so yeah. like how was it what can we expect how did you feel oh my gosh it was so overwhelming it was one of those things that I was in such a heightened state of like anticipation and anxiety <laughs> that like I don't remember a lot I was like did she play that song I can't remember and I actually read an article I think it might have been in the New York Times. I can't remember where it was basically saying, if you can't remember the Eras tour, this is why. And it was basically explaining that people who are like in that kind of really anticipated, like excited state of mind, it's almost like the adrenaline when you, ha- if you're in an accident or something where you have adrenaline pumping through your body and you don't, you're not going to remember a huge amount of it afterwards. Like that's um, genuinely a phenomenon that's happening to people. I feel that about Lana Del Rey. It was just last Friday yeah. and people were like, oh, I was so emotional through the ride monologue. And I was like, I never heard the ride monologue live. <laughs> But I, I was there. I have no memory of it. And I cried yeah. like the whole way through the show. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. This is the Trauma. thing. <laughs> Literally. You know, so I'm trying to remember like what actually <laughs> happened at the Euro show. So I got, I was living in Philadelphia. So I got to see her in Philly. Lincoln Financial Field is the stadium I saw her in night one. There was six of us as a group, which was just magical. It was so nice. Yeah, that's nice. It, it's a huge stadium. Like it's just massive. And... I'm trying to remember, like, what like what am I even going to touch on for ears? And also, I don't think I even answer, like, what my favourite ear is because I just can't pick one. But <laughs> I didn't look at a huge amount of TikToks or videos. I avoided them, like, the plague. Totally agree with that, yeah. Until, like, two days before. Well, a few days before because Lucy, who we've heard a few times, love you, bestie, um, she was making the friendship bracelets because in Midnight's in one of the songs, she has made the friendship bracelets as one of the lyrics for You're On Your Own, Kid. And I was like, oh my God, that's why people are making bracelets. And I was like, okay, I need to see some sort of online info because I'm missing out on the fan experience. Yeah. And Lucy was like, I think you're going to be incredibly overwhelmed if you don't look at something. So I was like, <laughs> <laughs> because I didn't know the first song. I didn't know what order she played things mm-hmm. in. I didn't know the set list. I knew nada. So I kind of did like in the two days before, looked at a little bit more stuff online. So I wouldn't absolutely like melt my brain when I saw it in person. So she does, she doesn't, I'm not going to ruin the set list for people. I'm going to yeah. say people, people can look it up if they want, but her main thing is that she ha- has the main set list and she plays two surprise songs. So that's a huge pull for people is mm. two surprise songs that she plays towards the end of the show. The show is three hours long. 
It is meaty. Like there is a lot in it. We were we were t- chatting earlier about like standing and sitting because mm-hmm. at the American shows there's no standing. It's all wild. To all me. floor seating. Yeah. I think for the Aviva, I think people are going to be standing. If you end so. up getting standing tickets, please pace yourself. Please drink a lot of water. Please have <laughs> snacks with yeah. you. I, I. It's three hours. Yeah. It's three hours of just her. That doesn't include the support acts. Mm-hmm. So if you're my ripe old age and you like, I don't think I'll have stamina. <laughs> like I definitely need to be sitting. Alison um, is like mid twenties at, at oldest. I I like twenty seven. Well, <laughs> I can't stand last the last concert that I stood. I was Ariana Grande and I was like, never again. I'm not doing it. Yes. I definitely. It's 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 probably going to be a slightly different experience the European shows. I'm hoping that she's going to change the set list a little bit mm-hmm. now that Speak Now Taylor's version is out. I'm hoping that she's going to play more Speak Now more, yeah, because she didn't play a huge amount of the albums that she does not own, mm. and I think the reason why is because she knows that they're going to be released. She's going to be putting them out as re-releases, yeah. re-records. So I'm hoping, and also she's going to have played so many shows. I'm sure she must be bored with set list herself. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that she's going to play more Speak Now when she comes to Europe. It It is a spectacular show. Like, it is so, so good. It's just amazing. She it, Like, the best I've ever seen her. Like, literally the best I've ever seen her. It's outstanding. Her vocals, top notch. Absolutely perfect. The outfits, the routines... It's it's amazing. It's seriously an amazing show. It seems like a real massive pop culture moment. Like I think a lot of people just want to see it because it's a landmark, you know, it's, yeah. it's huge. And I hope, I don't want to like be too uh, critical or cynical, but I hope that that buzz is still here by the time she comes next year. That's a very good because point. Because I'm feeling a little bit of fatigue now. Mm-hmm. I haven't actually listened to the whole Speak Now re-release yet. Although I listened the day before, I listened to some of the like original version mm-hmm. so I could compare. And like you said, like her vocals have actually come on so Huge. far. Like yeah. the vocals on Mean are, <laughs> and she's calling out people who are saying she can't sing. I was like, mm, can you? <laughs> she's really come on a long way. So I have two questions because I want to know what surprise songs she sang when you went to see her in Philadelphia. But Catherine Mullen also sent us in a question because she wants to know what songs you'd like to see. Oh my God. Surprise songs. Oh my God, this is the question. Mm. So she played for night one in Philly, Gold Rush. Oh, lovely. And Come Back Be Here, which mm. is the, on the deluxe version of Red because Phoebe Bridgers asked her to sing it. So oh, she gosh. sang it. So we, she, she brought out Phoebe Bridgers for a song during that show oh, as well. Oh, wow, okay. Um, and also, Matty Healy. I don't even know if we need to get into that. <laughs> but he was... He that's was, a different podcast. That's a completely different podcast. And also, I'm a 1975 stan, so that was mm. really interesting. I was like, mom and dad coming together. Um, <laughs> he was playing the guitar for Phoebe Bridgers' set. Okay. He was just casually there in the background with the like skeleton suits on and he comes up on the screen and I'm like is that is that many what? <laughs> I, had not, I hadn't even heard that. Oh he was literally there. Wild. I was like what are you doing Maybe here? they were hanging out more than we knew. Exactly and this was before it kind of really became yeah. public knowledge that they were like a thing and then they weren't a thing. So funny. Oh, um, I'd love to know what goes on behind the scenes there. I know. I know. I don't like to gossip but I literally the details. like myself and Lucy went to the 1975 Witch Night in Dublin and we wore yeah. Taylor Swift t-shirts <laughs> and jumpers. I'd say it's a huge crossover in Oh, it's it's and so that's big. Actually a collab that I would love to hear. I don't know if yes. we'll get it now, but 
you know, something like somebody else really sounds a lot oh like my God. some of those. You like know, you could blend them pretty seamlessly. I genuinely think George, who's in the 1975, he's the producer of all their music. Mm. He's genius. Yeah. Serious genius. I would love to hear some sort of crossover between the two. Yeah. Um, anyway, sidetrack Manny Healy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we got Gold Rush and Come Back Be Here. And at the time, I think, because me and Lucy were talking about it, I think the both of us were like, I'm not really sure. We didn't know really how we felt about those surprise songs because some some shows have gotten like just elite combinations. Mm-hmm. Gold Rush, obviously like 10 out of 10. I think Come Back Be Here for a lot of people, they might not have known it. Yeah, it's a bit random. It is a bit random, but I love R- Red Deluxe Version. I just, yeah, it's, it's... So I was, I was actually really happy with Come Back Be Here. In terms of what I want her to do next year, mm-hmm. oh my God. Random, but I love the other side of the door of Fearless. Oh God, I haven't heard that in a long time. Just the end of that song is so good. But I feel like you're on your own, kid, or shoulda, woulda, coulda've. Oh, that's, I think that's my favourite Taylor Swift song. Oh my God, it's a wow. It's a kicker, like. And then Hits Different and You're Mm -hmm. Losing Me. Oh, sad. Yeah. Honestly, You're Losing Me, I think, is one of the most heartbreaking songs she's ever written. Yeah. Star, you're losing me. I can't find a pulse. My heart won't start anymore. It it really cuts deep. That intolerated always gets me. That really cuts. Actually, I love any of the songs that she's written kind of based on a novel or I love that she Mm. takes a story and kind of writes about it. I know everyone thinks that When Emma Falls in Love is about Emma Stone. Yes, I actually kind of like the idea that maybe it's based on the Jane Austen. Oh, I love that. I feel like that would be her vibe, you know? Yes. I, I feel like Emma Stone though, so. she, she has so many references. It probably is a mix. Yeah, it could be. I was also going to say that to you. I was like, I'd be very happy she's the song named after you. I am actually. <laughs> I'll always take one. I love the whole uh, Bonnie Vare album as well. But I actually, what did I think of there? And then I forgot. Oh yes, when you were going to the show in Philly, how was your experience with Ticketmaster? Because it seemed like a shit show over there. Yes. Okay. I was one of the lucky, lucky okay. people who managed to get tickets. We kind of had a game plan. So like I was over there uh, teaching Irish and the other FLTAs uh, who were doing the same. Like we kind of had like a game plan. So we had a few people who had like entered to, they had registered to see if they would get a link. So a few of us got a link and we also put in different shows. So I put in like Philly and like Nashville. Obviously the registration process for Ireland and Europe is closed now. So you need to have registered to have a chance of getting tickets, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Because what happened in America was that people registered, they got a code. So the first lottery was, would you get a code or not? So thankfully, I was one of the people who got a code. And then on sale day, it's the regular lottery of, are you going to be let in from the queue to get tickets or not? Myself and Daryl Creeper were sitting right beside each other. We had both the links up up on our laptops. Mm -hmm. His wasn't moving at all and mine was. So it was just, you kind of need to tag team on it. You definitely need to tag team. And so eventually I, mine was let in and I, I also in America were allowed to get up to six tickets and I somehow managed to get six tickets. Amazing. The panic and fear that I felt (laughs) 
when it opened up and I was like, where am I, where am I, where in the stadium am I, I going to get these tickets? I didn't realise in America that they don't stand and I was like, I'm not getting any of those four seats. They were mm-hmm. also ridiculously expensive. They were like okay. at least $500 each and I was like, I can't justify that. I love her and I'd love to follow her around Europe, but I can't justify that amount on one ticket. Mm-hmm. And especially because I was buying them for other people, I was like, I can't ask other people to pay that amount yeah, true. if they're not as crazy as, as a fan as I am. So... Uh, we actually ended up getting a, like really good seats. They weren't in like, the, they were kind of like in the middle tier. If people want to know like what pricing was, like it was $240 per ticket. Mm-hmm. I do think that they're going to be cheaper here. So if yeah. people are worried about that. What happened in America is they have this like dynamic pricing thing where it, it, it's just crazy prices basically. Like people were even paying more than what I paid for for nosebleeds, which are yeah. like right so up. So basically the way it works is the more demand there is for a ticket, the higher the price is pushed. Exactly. And that happens as you're purchasing. So it can even change between the time that you log in, select your ticket and press pay, which yeah. stung a lot of people. And it's yes. pretty scandalous to be honest. Yeah. That's not going to happen here because we have different regulations. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you hope to you. Um, and so I managed to get the tickets, had them in the bag. This was the pre-sale. All of the tickets for the whole tour sold out on the pre-sale. That can't happen here either, can it? I don't know. <laughs> don't ask me. <laughs> now I'm panicking because I don't have a pre-sale ticket. I just have a... But you have, you got a code. I got a code, but there's a code for a pre-sale that you got with the album. Yeah. And then there's a code for general sale and mine is for the general sale. Oh, I know what you mean. I don't think they're going to sell out on just the album pre-sale. I don't think they no. can. No. But it's also really unclear. I was actually trying to get some more info on this so that we could share it with people. Maybe I'll do a special newsletter um, when it's a bit clearer because at the moment they haven't released a plan or pricing for where you're sitting in the Aviva. And they also, it's not very clear. Say like I have a code and I can buy tickets for the Friday, Saturday or Sunday, they go on sale at different times during the day. Mm -hmm. But if I get tickets for the Friday, can I go again on the Saturday? Can I try again three o'clock for the Sunday? Not really sure. Or when do people get told like, you're off the wait list, you're getting in. Um, It's really up in the air still. So we'll fill it in when we know. Yes. Um, But I wanted to touch a little bit on, I don't want to get too into this because I feel like, again, it's another podcast. (laughs) There's so many sub-genres and sub-stories here. Um, But it's something that's in the newsletter. So if you're signed up, you've probably already got it. Or if not, it's on gingeripod.substack.com. Kind of discussing gig etiquette and how it seems to be a little bit out of hand at the moment. Some of it is pretty harmless. Like the Americans not realising that we have standing tickets and they're horrified. (laughs) Like... (laughs) I had no idea you could sit for a whole gig. I don't know if I'd want to sit at a Taylor Swift gig. Did you sit in your seats or I assume you danced? We danced for most of it, but when we needed a breather, I'm so okay. glad we had that seat because I, I, I don't have the stamina to stand for that amount of time because it was literally... When you think about when you're getting to the venue, yeah, that's a lot of walking. You're probably going to take a public... If, the Aviva is going to be a public transport. Mm-hmm. Walking in. And be prepared to walk home as well if Harry Styles to go by. Oh my gosh, that, that was a lot. So you're going to be... Wear comfy shoes, by the way. Yeah. Wear yeah. comfy shoes. I know you want the prettiest outfit because I was the same. I had my little cowboy boots and thankfully the girls convinced me they were like, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wear your runners. Advice from your millennial elders here. Exactly. <laughs> wear the soft shoes. So we, like, we did sit a few times. I was surprised with how much that I was standing for because it was yeah. just pure adrenaline and getting so excited about mm-hmm. what she was playing. So I personally want to sit. Okay, okay. I need, I need a seat. I just don't think... I'm not that kind of person who is able to queue up for hours before and get, you know, right up at the mean, front. Yeah. 
like I would be that person who faints and has to be taken out. <laughs> so I just don't even try. Fair. I can still love and appreciate her from my seat. Yeah, <laughs> I love a standing ticket because I feel really awkward in a seat. I think I'm just like quite socially awkward anyway. At least if you're standing, I feel like I can move, I can dance, I can like find a space if I need. This, yeah, but this is true. I've never been dedicated enough to get barrier really for anything except at festivals. Yes. I'd love to yeah. do it once, but hasn't So would I. Yet. And I feel like I need to do it soon because I'd yeah. <laughs> before we're too old. <laughs> Literally before we're we were too like old. on our last legs. I know. <laughs> we're too, we're actually so young. <laughs> so young. Another thing that's been happening is this kind of phenomenon where people are throwing things at the stage or like bringing weird things to artists. Pink was handed a box of someone's mother's ashes. Wow. Harry Styles got hit in the face last night. Yeah, Pretty I saw Rexa that. Had a phone thrown at her. All obviously ridiculous. And I don't know if this is necessarily a new thing. Like I know Rolling Stone are kind of blaming it on attention seeking and wanting to create these viral moments for TikTok and there's an element of that but like Bowie used to have the same issue in the 70s Lady Gaga I know during her sets used to have a designated time during the set where you could throw things on the stage so so they put it out like everybody waited for that minute which is kind of cute so I don't think it's necessarily a new thing but a weird thing that happened at a Taylor Swift gig was that loads of fans brought pictures of her grandmother to the show yeah, we don't need to be doing that. We don't. So the reason why they did that is because she has a song called Marjorie, which, mm. which is about her grandmother, who was an opera singer. Um, so they held up s- posters of Marjorie during that song. I do think, t- I think Taylor was quite young when her grandmother passed away, but it's still not appropriate to do that. Yeah, it would really catch someone off guard. Yeah. Look, look, she's a pro. Mm. She, I know there's a lot of emotion in the songs that she writes, but she's on stage. That's her nine to five. She's not going to have a huge amount of emotion with every single song. And people even reading into, you know, the whole Joe album breakup because they were together for six years. And there's a lot of reputation. Lover is all about him. A huge amount of her work that is based on her relationship with him, including like a lot of folklore and evermore because he collaborated on some of that. People are looking for the emotion when she's singing some of these songs. Mm. And um, she can't be emotional all the time. She's a professional. I don't understand the whole like throwing things. It's one thing to like, you know, throw your underwear at, <laughs> at someone, which has definitely always been a thing, especially with male artists or like bands. The I really don't get the whole phone throwing anything that's actually gonna be harmful. I don't I don't understand. I I genuinely hope that especially with European crowds that we're not going to involve ourselves in any of that kind of behaviour especially Irish crowds we just don't do that kind of attention grabbing kind of thing I think we're a bit too like scarlet for ourselves absolutely and you know what everyone needs a sprinkle of shame like you just need just that little sprinkle just a bit of guilt you know that keeps you in check Taylor has done so many things over the years for fans she used to have the tea parties before sorry it was a before it would be after her shows so literally after coming off stage like her Usually it was her, her parents or like people from her team who would be at her shows would people, pick people out of the crowd and they would get a wristband and they would go, be able to go to the backstage area and she would meet fans. So that was a big thing. I didn't know about that. It's really nice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you should look that up. It's honestly so, so cute. So she had like the red room when it was the red tour. And that's where a lot of people had the opportunity to meet her. She also did like listening parties at her different houses. Um, and those people were like specifically selected from like online presence. And of course, she's just too big now. She can't do that mm. anymore. And also, you're getting three hours of her <laughs> on the year's tour. Yeah. So, like, 
She's giving up her time. She's giving up. She's giving up her time. You know, she's giving you value for money. I yeah. But to come back to the etiquette, I really not to insult the Americans, but I hope that's an American phenomenon. I just yeah, I hope so too. Yeah, I I don't really see it at our gigs. I've been to a few in the last few weeks, and I've been kind of blown away by how good some of the crowds have been. The Lana Del Rey one was really special. The SZA, I have to say, and there's a lot of like, oh, it's Gen Z or the problem, but like SZA, I was easily ten years older. Now I'm being old, <laughs> but I was I was easily ten, fifteen years older than that crowd, and I have never been in a crowd as polite, as mm-hmm. cute, as wholesome. Yeah. They were so good, and they were dedicated like they knew every single word there was not a quiet song or moment in the stadium and I love that Gen Z are the best they are yeah I was like respect these people part of the whole gig etiquette thing and people being kind of bratty online is that they're getting angry at artists for changing their set lists because they feel hard done by or they're like oh she can't play you know four speak now songs in Ireland because America didn't get that like how do you feel about that kind of thing should a set list be the same and equal to all on tour or spice of life you know Ooh, interesting um it's obviously very disappointing if your favorite song yeah or your favorite era is on the set list in one area and then she comes to your 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 district your area and she doesn't do it it's obviously you know that can be really heartbreaking but at the same time I'm kind of like, you need to respect the artists and what they choose because by the time she gets to this time next year when mm-hmm. she's touring Europe, I would definitely be sick of the same set list. Yeah, I sure. mean, what you were saying about can we sustain this level of hype for her until next summer? I think she does need to change it up. Mm-hmm. You know, because everyone is so chronically online and you see so many videos of her and of all the different shows. And then you have something iconic like Kansas City where she brought out Taylor and had like the whole showing of the new music video and you know such an iconic moment she she needs to hit points of something new in it that's why you have new support acts mm-hmm. in different like in different areas she's going to have different support acts here than she had in america i loved that she announced paramore while speak now was kind of coming out because there's such an overlap in style or you can really hear like hayley williams's influence yes. on so much of that album i was like that's such a nice little full circle moment oh that i mean that that's another huge pull for people yeah. is People would go for Paramore alone. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. what a nostalgic. Um, But sorry, I want to get back to the re-records because I don't feel like we have time to get into Explainer and like why she's doing that. And I think it's been discussed so much. I'll put it in the newsletter because I've written about it before. So we'll link back to that. But basically, she's re-recording all of her old masters so that she owns the rights to her own music. Mm -hmm. And that's why we're not hearing some of the... Um, kind of middle stuff on the Eras tour I assume because it would actually cause a spike in streaming as well and that money wouldn't exactly. be going to her Yeah. but how have you been feeling about the re-recordings or we actually have a question from Catherine again who wanted to know Nuriainter a hafid erna hauron an gapintu ga gailtur chud gan driocht of vanan leshna shan album tushki aveni shina nuni skarha on a mohuchon so that's like mm. do you think the re-records um, are less magical because she's kind of stepped back a bit emotionally from them. That's such a good question. Yeah. Um, I kind of feel like it makes them more special. Mm. I think for a lot of artists, re-recording their work wouldn't have the amount of hype that hers does. She has marketed it in a very clever way. It's a reimagining yeah. of the music and she is adding vault tracks. I mean, Fearless and Red were huge all too well 10 minute version a 10 minute version just being on the radio in and of itself broke the internet like genuinely (laughs) 
that was a fan theory for years. People knew that there was a 10, 10 minute version floating around. And the fact that she made, she directed a music video about it. She is so clever. Mm-hmm. She is so, so clever. <laughs> um, I do kind of, I think with Speak Now, this is the first time that I've kind of felt maybe she has a disconnect with the emotions. Okay. Um, a little bit. Some people are of the opinion that you can't hear um, as much as the emotion in her voice on Taylor's version, which obviously makes sense. Like she's 33 now. She was, she wrote that album when she was really young. She was like 1920. So she's obviously not going to have, those, those emotions aren't going to be raw. She's thinking about it in memory. But with the vault tracks, I think that that really adds something so, so special about the re-recordings. I've also wondered about the order that she's done them in. It's not like she started with debut and worked up from there. I think it's really interesting. She always has a plan for everything. So I know she has a plan. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) I'm wondering where she's going next. Because she still has 1989 reputation and debut. And I'm really wondering about debut. Because she doesn't, spoiler, if, if you don't want to know anything about the year story, she, she doesn't play any debut. Okay. Um, she doesn't do an year section, on the yeah. year story, she doesn't do a section for a debut. So I'm really wondering how she's going to, if she's going to re-record it, I feel like she will, because she wants to own all her music, but how she's going to do it. Because that is so long ago. She was like 15, 16 when she yeah. wrote those songs. Those would be the hardest, I say, for her to relate to. Yeah. I just think the re-records are something that are so unique to her. And something so, so special. I think we're blessed. I think we're blessed. <laughs> to be alive at the same to time. To be alive at the same time. I really like the contrast. It's not many artists where you get to see or hear the development so clearly in their craft and in their yeah. sound. And even just like to listen to Speak Now, like the technology is better now. So the quality is better. Yes. Um, a plot twist I would like is to see a Kermit TV Taylor Swift sixth album that she yeah. just drops randomly like oh by the way here's my version of Karma that never came out <laughs> I <laughs> love like that. some chaos we are nearly at the end but I want to ask before we get on to the big hard questions at the very end um we have some listener questions so Kian wants to know who is your favorite of Taylor's exes oh my god amazing amazing um I am sad to say that, like, because I thought Joe Albans it for her. Mm, so did I. And also because yeah. his surname is very close to my name. So I, that was was gonna, <laughs> I actually noticed that earlier. Yeah. I was like obsessed. <laughs> I was, like, this is a, Can this Alston is a, fight? Yeah, literally. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is how close I'm going to get to her. Is that like his surname is really close to mine? <laughs> I, um, I think he's my favourite. I mean, now that I say that. I mean, there ha- I have heard some things about hi- him recently that I'm obviously not a fan of. You know, there's uh, there's obviously some reason that they broke up after six mm. years. And a lot of the rumours there is that he met her during the whole, like, reputation, like, downfall kind of yeah. era. Like, she she has a, a lyric, like, but when I had my buzz cut and your hair bleached. So that's when they met at the Met Gala, mm. funnily enough. So when she met him at that time, she was... She wasn't in the public eye as much. Yeah. When she when they when they kind of started like really going out, she was in her nobody saw me for a year time. And then there was the pandemic. They were together in a lot of her very quiet years. Mm. And apparently he wasn't too mad on the fact that she was, you know, continuing a huge career. I could go on and on about that. I do I just because I thought he was it for her. Yeah. I really did. It must be so hard though to date someone so public oh like, yeah and I say that out of sympathy for both of them like it must be hard for her to mm, what, what do I want to say like 
even to to offer herself is to mm. offer also all of the chaos around her you know it's, it's yes. a lot to ask of someone yeah listen to peace on folklore mm, if people want yeah. to yeah, hear her kind of one. perspective on that but apart from that, I have to say Taylor Lautner because he's just so iconic right now. <laughs> I think he's everyone's favourite ex right now. Yeah. Oh, he so is. Like, he has always been the favourite ex. Yeah. I love that he married a Taylor as well. I know. And a she's like, Taylor's. which Taylor is it? Yeah. Like, Tay, Taylor. <laughs> like, I love it. Okay, then we have another question from Jade who says, what do you think makes Taylor so admired by so many? Not a hater, just curious of the hype. Sounds like a hater disclaimer. But... <laughs> okay, Jade. Just what makes her so? What well, like what's the hype? Yeah, I what's, mean, what's the defining factor? Listen to the music. <laughs> That's a good answer. Yeah, genuinely though, like listen to her songs. She's so good. Like her, cra- she just is. It's a craft to her. It's it comes naturally to her. It is what she was meant to do in life. And I act- I actually love hearing about her grandmother who was an opera singer because it's obviously in her genes. Oh yeah. Um, and she has really just brought it out. When you think about the people she has collaborated with, and I know sometimes that causes controversy because she tends to, a lot of her producers have been men, but... That's interesting, yeah, actually, yeah. A vast majority of her producers... Then like, again, a vast majority of producers are, are men. men. Yeah. You know? I would love to see Danielle Hyam sit in to produce one of her albums. Yes. Especially because they don't have a producer at the moment either, so... <gasps> yeah. I love Nobody, No Crime. Oh my God. I'm going to so be good. a devil's advocate here. Right? I don't think she's the best lyricist of her time. With Taylor? Yeah, I, I don't think so. I think her, her Buena, what's that word even in English? I looked you in the eye and I was like, well, yeah. <laughs> I think her skills are hooks, mm. and melodic hooks and, and lyrics maybe, but I think the melodic hooks and the overall storytelling, I think some of the lyrics are really on the nose though. Good thing my daddy made me get a boating license when I was 15. They can be. I feel like I just need to say that for balance. <laughs> Definitely devil, devil's advocate here. Um, I d- she used to have a formula because I was actually listening to, um, because obviously because Speak Now, Taylor's version has come out and I was listening to debut. She used to have a formula. Her her classic like country pop formula mm-hmm. was you start off a song with it, like some sort of like imagery. She ha- I mean, she's famous for her absolutely iconic bridges. Yeah. And then she would wrap it back around to the start of the song. So, I mean, when I was a teenager, I used to try my, write music in that. I used to write songs in that format. And people say, all, the, all her songs sound the same. Yeah, she uses the foot. Like, the vast format, majority yeah. of music is, is the four cor- same chord progression. Yeah. I, also, when you write 200 and something songs, like, there's going to be some similarities. Ex- yeah, exactly. But I love that. I love that I can hear references. Mm. Bet- she obviously has her notes up. Yeah. where she has things written down that she just loves, like Castle's Crumbling. So that's the name of a song from The Vault on Speak Now Taylor's version. My Castle's Crumbled Overnight, a lyric from Call It What You Want, which is on Reputation. The Delicate comes up again yeah. and again. Mi- I mean, the fact that Midnight's is called Midnight's because we have 3am, 2am. She has constant references and I love that, that you can literally study. There are courses in America, <laughs> college Taylor courses, Swift, where you yeah. can study her music. And I personally do think she's a, like the greatest lyricist of our of our time. I know I, there's lots of other people who will be just with her level of fame. There's, yeah. pro- I mean, I'm sure there, there's definitely artists that I also think it's really individual. Oh, absolutely! It's so like people connect with different things. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, like she has really good longevity, mm-hmm. really, really good. Yeah, and she's now at the height of her fame. She's 33. It's pretty iconic. She's an icon. She's an icon. I feel like that's a really nice note to start wrapping up on because we've come to our last hardest question. Oh my God, I'm not ready. You can pick a favourite. No, I'm going to make it hard. 
Favorite. <laughs> I was gonna be nice. Your favorite album and your favorite song. It it, it this genuinely depends on my mood. <laughs> okay. It depends on my mood. It changes every day. <laughs> she has ten studio albums, like, and then the re-records, which has more music on it. And would would the re-records influence your favorite? Like, if you heard a good re-record of something that wasn't your favorite before, would it become your favorite? Ooh, no. It would just remind me of how good it is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I feel that. Yeah. Yeah. Because she really had, doesn't change a huge amount. And I'm yeah. glad she doesn't. No. She doesn't go off with like That's a wacky instrumental. That's actually a question. Sorry, I'm backtracking now. How do you feel about the lyric changes? Ooh, yes. In okay. the re-records, she's changed some of the lyrics to kind of be a little bit, I don't want to say more PC, but to be more of the time. Yes. Do you agree with that? Or do you think they should be conserved? Like, what's your feeling? The, the biggest change is in Better Than Revenge, where she used to have, she's better known for the things that she does on the mattress. And now... And I, I genuinely, that must have been very, very difficult to change the lyric on that mm. because you're trying to rhyme actress with something. <laughs> so that must yeah. have been a minefield. <laughs> uh, even to come to mattress, she must have had mattress first. Like. She, mu- she must have had mattress first. <laughs> so she, ha- what does she have now? She has, he was a moth to the flame. She was holding the matches, which I do think is kind of genius. Yeah, it's nice. I, I actually do like it. I think she was right to change it because... When you think about the amount of shit that she got mm. for her dating history, mm-hmm. I don't think it would be fitting for her to keep that lyric. Yeah, fair. Even though fair. I still love that lyric, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, it was kind of iconic. But yeah. of the time, it's kind of like the Lana Del Rey ones, like, love you more than those bitches before. I'm like, you couldn't write that in 2023, but I love that you're still singing it. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, I feel like I'm definitely going to be singing, the, like, the mattress line. Like if if <laughs> that's hardwired. played, it's hardwired. It's literally hardwired into my brain. But sure, she even had like back in the day on Picture to Burn, she had a lyric change. Okay. Um, because what was it again? I don't mind. Uh, it she changed it to, to don't mind if I say, uh, because it used to be like I'll tell mine as in mine being my friends. I'll tell mine that you're gay, and that was changed mm. back then. Okay. I definitely think she was right to do. Mm-hmm. And when you think about it, oh my God, society has changed a huge amount. Like love, that was yeah. 2006 when that was put out. But you've dodged the question. What's your favourite album? Uh, no. <laughs> I, I genuinely, when I say it's impossible, because it does change from day to day. Okay, but if you're, today? Fo- if you're forcing me to pick... Yeah, I'm forcing you. I'm tempted to, to say like, like either Folklore or Evermore. However, I'm very much... The fact that I was like raised on Taylor Swift, an album needs to be like really, really long mm-hmm. and have such a range of emotions. There's genuine discomfort in your eyes. I, there is. <laughs> I'm going to go for Red, Taylor's version, because of the amount of music on it. Yeah, oh, fair. You get a good yeah. two hours. It, yeah. yeah, there's a good chunk the on that. The 10 minute version alone. Exactly. Yeah. That adds a good bit of time. So, you know, if I was yeah. on a desert island, I would have a lot to listen to. And what single would you be bringing with you? <sighs> Or what song maybe resonates most with you is actually a listener question from Ruth. What song resonates most with me? Oh my God, there's so many. I feel like I love Marjorie. You forget your power. I love that it's about her grandmother and it reminds me of my grandmother. Is that going to be my choice? Is that your final answer? Is that my final answer? (laughs) (laughs) 
I do wonder if I actually I should see what I'd love to see what my like most played Taylor song oh, of all time on Spotify do you is. There? Can I do that? I think so. Because <laughs> then that'll tell me. <laughs> oh, I can do all time. I'll do mine as well. Is that all time? Seriously? Okay, so some of these are not even Taylor songs. I only have two Taylor Swift songs in my top 50. Oh no, I have three. I have Exile, The One, and Mirrorball. Ooh. They're pretty. They are pretty. Believe it or not, my top song of Taylor's is Willow. Oh. And then it's The One. The One is a nice one. Yeah. All Too Well is 10 Minute Version is 24 on my list. And out of interest, what is your number one song of all time? It's Music for a Sushi Restaurant. Oh, what a buzz. <laughs> I'm so surprised. I'm genuinely so surprised. <laughs> Ali will be proud of you from our last podcast. Yes. Oh my gosh, she is such an iconic fan. Iconic, um, yeah. Like, she's amazing. Another Kildare woman as well. Yeah, We're exactly. representing. Yeah. Woohoo. Gonna go with Willow as your number one song? No, that doesn't sit well with me for some reason. <laughs> I think it's gonna have to be All Too Well. I think that's one that will prevail through the years. Yes. Like when you look back and go like, what was your biggest song? What's the big moment? Yeah. That 10 minute version. Yeah. I think is it. There's just so much there. There is. So much to choose from. I feel like we covered a lot of it as we well. We did cover a good bit. We, we got through a lot in this podcast. Tell my bro, you're lost. Yeah. Thomas impression. Ain, Togarty, Arinawood, Lelin and Agron Shaw. Anything we referenced will all be linked in the newsletter. You can follow that at gingeripod.substack.com. Where can we find you? Oh, you can find me. Uh, I'm just at Alswin on Insta, on Twitter. And also the Goyle Girls podcast. Goyle Girls podcast. I'll put a link in the newsletter as well. It's pretty iconic. Also, a lot of people got scared. <laughs> a lot of my friends were like, I'm so sorry, I haven't listened to your podcast. It's just, it's it's in Irish and I don't speak Irish. And I was like, <laughs> guys, it's actually in English. <laughs> Believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> but if you do want to hear a great podcast, ask Goyle Girls. The Goyle Girls have loads of episodes up on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. And you might actually hear a new series from them over the summer too. <laughs> Alison Kermit, I'm hard to show you. Know, oh so my gosh. Buech, Sinead and Agron, Shogger and Miramagi, Asavek, Aishacht, Mirabuechus, Arish, Le, Pauline, Quiva, Kira, uh, Lucy, Ruth, Kuan, August Connor, Jack O'Connor, also live. Her father, her doctor, the Stockton, Agron Shaw, August Catherine, um, August Hologana Ella, her Keshnakun, her Instagram. I'm sorry, I should have made a list to remember everyone, but I really appreciate all of your questions and they really add to the episode. Um, If you have any opinions, if you want to add to the conversation, you can reply to the newsletter or find me on Ginger iPod, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you want. And yeah, I can't wait for the next episode. The next episode, actually, little disclaimer, might be a little late because my best friend is getting married at the start of next month when I usually record. So I might be busy. But um, yeah, I can't wait for the next one. And thank you again for listening. Bye.